baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. From Harris, Al Fisher, and Young, you hear him contribute here on KMOX and other places. Brad Young, how are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks for uh, for calling. Well, I saw a couple of different stories that came through. We have... Uh, the impeachment, which will happen, part two, potentially, they said, in the next couple of weeks. But one thing I do want to mention is that the Supreme Court today ruled on a couple of cases against Donald Trump, some of which they just said it's no longer relevant. And I'm hoping that you can go over and let us know what the Supreme Court decided today. Absolutely. Under Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution, there's something called the Emoluments Clause. Now, that's not like an oil or a lotion that you put on your hands. Okay, the Emoluments Clause is a clause in the Constitution that states that elected officials can't receive money from foreign governments or any kings. And so the idea in the Constitution was is that the framers didn't want kings or foreign governments to be paying off government officials. So lots of people filed lawsuits, several states, in fact, and several individuals filed lawsuits against Trump when he became president because Trump, unlike prior presidents, did not move all of his assets into a blind trust. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not required. And uh, I'm just not going to move those into a blind trust. So as such, these plaintiffs and states alleged that Trump was getting money from foreign governments when people were staying in the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. So there were, last time I checked, there were about 38 different uh, subpoenas issued to the Trump Hotel and the Trump Organization to find out how much of this money was coming in from foreign governments. Well, the Supreme Court essentially today dismissed all of those lawsuits across the board, stating that they only apply to a current president. Trump's not the current president. Therefore, all the the lawsuits are dismissed effective immediately. So it was a waiting game in in many ways. But it, it makes me wonder, too, was there a vote that was given? Do we know what the breakdown was in the Supreme Court, how they ruled on that one? Or is it when it's a dismissal, it's just dismissed? It's just dismissed. I mean, we don't know. I look to see, you know, what was the breakdown between the so-called conservative and so-called liberal justices, and I couldn't really find that. So we don't know what the vote is, but it was dismissed across the board, all the cases, and the Trump properties do not have to produce documents pursuant to the subpoenas because the cases are dismissed. So what could that mean for any other potential lawsuits against Donald Trump? Because there was a lot of things thrown at him, and uh, sometimes there's even some on a state level. I think New York wants to do the tax records and stuff like that. That doesn't impact anything else, does it? You know, it really doesn't. I mean, the only thing it really impacts is the concept of whether a sitting president or a, a former president can be sued under the emoluments clause. And by dismissing these lawsuits 
really across the board, the Supreme Court is saying that these lawsuits under the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution can only apply to a sitting president and not to a former president. So I must have uh, misspoken. I didn't see the news that the House officially handed over the articles of impeachment to the Senate on uh, Monday afternoon, Monday night. And I'm watching this, too. And you sent me an interesting article from CNN that said Justice Roberts will most likely not preside over this impeachment trial, which is something that we talked about before because we didn't know if he would or not. That's true. I mean, there's a lot of questions. I think you and I had swapped some emails, Ryan, about questions that I had about moving forward with the impeachment, not necessarily stating definitively what's going to happen, because so much of this is new ground. We don't know how it's going to happen. But one of the questions that I had was whether or not Justice Roberts would agree to oversee the impeachment trial under the Constitution The Chief Justice of the United States is the one who presides over an impeachment trial. He certainly did that in the former impeachment trial of President Trump earlier in 2020. Uh, Justice Rehnquist presided over the impeachment trial of President Clinton. So the question was whether or not Justice Roberts would agree to preside over an impeachment trial of a former president. And although the Supreme Court has not definitively stated that he won't, they're they're really dodging the question. Uh, the, uh, uh, Senator Leahy in the U.S. Senate has said today that he's going to agree to preside over the impeachment trial, which, of course, presumes that Roberts is not going to do it. You can't have co-captains uh, in an impeachment trial. So chances are Roberts is going to decline uh, under the Constitution. So there's a lot of questions that I have about this impeachment trial, namely whether you can even impeach a former president. That issue has never been definitively resolved, and uh, I don't know that it's going to be resolved here either, but at least we're getting an indication that Roberts is saying, I want no part of this since it's not a sitting president. Well, that's interesting. So there's is there anything that the president could do to put this on hold to say that, okay, I actually want to challenge that. I don't think this is constitutional. I don't think that you could hold this after I'm out of office. Thus, this shouldn't even begin with. It should be a mute point. And the the fact that Chief Justice Roberts may be sitting this out would indicate that he may have a majority if that case would get to the Supreme Court. Right. I mean, this is a political uh, this is a political procedure. An impeachment is a political proceeding. It's not a criminal proceeding. So there's no motion to dismiss, motion for summary judgment. Those are the things that I would file if it were a civil or a criminal matter. But we don't have that option because this is a wholly political procedure. So I don't think that there can be any procedure for filing a dismissal. But what you're seeing right now in terms of coalescing in the Senate is a lot of the Republicans in the Senate now are stating that they are going to vote against conviction on the impeachment, not because of whether Trump did or did not incite a riot, which I don't think that he did. Clearly, he didn't under Brandenburg versus Ohio, which is the standard set by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1969. But what you're seeing the Republicans in the Senate coalescing around is the procedural issue that they don't believe you can impeach a former president. In fact, if you look at the Constitution, uh, I I believe it states in in Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7, that the punishment for impeachment is removal from office. And so if the president isn't in office, 
then why would you be having an impeachment to begin with? Yeah. Uh, there's one case, rather, and I know that Rich Rubino has discussed this, but there's one case in 1876 where the War Secretary, William Belknap, was impeached for graft, and he resigned on the day before the trial in the Senate. But if you look at he was acquitted in the Senate pretty much on the basis that you can't impeach someone who's no longer in office. So I think the Republicans in the Senate right now are following that model from 1876 that even if you can't get a dismissal of the impeachment, you can rule against or vote against the impeachment on the grounds that the person is no longer in office. Uh, I see. And I didn't know if this would set up a, hey, uh, Trump comes out and says, oh, you violated my constitutional rights by doing this. And then he would have some sort of countersuit, which, again, it doesn't really work like that. But in theory, maybe leads us kind of the M.O. of Chief, Just- uh, Chief Justice Roberts. He looks for precedent. He may be looking back at that and just being one of the reasons why he wants no part of it. Yeah, Justice Roberts is so big on following prior precedent. And and I think a lot of people try to pigeonhole Roberts as a conservative. I don't think he's a conservative from a a judicial philosophy standpoint. I think he's more interested in in, uh, making sure that the Supreme Court acts in the future as it has acted in the past. And so he's looking at this and looking at the Constitution, stating that Really, there's no current president that's being impeached or on trial for impeachment, so he wants to have no part of it. I, Although Roberts will never say that, I'm sure that's his reasoning. I wonder, too, how this is going to look in the defense. So even if they go through all of this and uh, it, it gets to that point, the defense of it all, uh, what that could bring out, knowing that if you're Donald Trump's representation, you can use this as an opportunity, uh, ex- exploit the public's eye to show just what a what a sham this is to begin with, to even kind of go through with it all, which I think some <laughs> people even argued, uh, what if Joe Biden decided to just say, okay, enough's enough. I got enough stuff to do, enough stuff to worry about. How about I just pardon him and just make this go away? A lot of people wondered if something like that would happen. It doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like Joe Biden's also very hands-off and would allow uh, Schumer and Pelosi to pretty much do whatever they want. That's true. And, and I think it's interesting if you look at the comments that President Biden has made, he said, we want unity, we want unity, but we can't have unity until we have accountability. And to me, that's kind of a two-edged sword or a double standard by saying, I want all of the country to be united and moving us forward. But by the way, we're going to impeach the guy who 75 million people voted for for president. I mean, that's a little bit duplicitous uh, when it comes to calling for unity. You know, if I remember correctly, so each side during an impeachment trial has an an equal amount of time to plead their case. And since we know that, we know how long a trial like this would take. And it does take a lot of time, takes preparation, takes all kinds of different things. And this could be dragged on for a while with everything else that's going on in the world, in the United States. This is not good for anyone. And if anything, uh, think about uh, Trump's defense team that are in there dragging this out even longer because they want to make sure they defend their client. And it's just there's so many other angles that go into this. It's not a great way to start 2021. Honestly, we went off of a rough 2020. We're start kicking off 2021 with uh, retribution, I guess, or people are very upset. They want to stand on principle, I guess, is how they're looking at it. Not necessarily legal standing or a strong case. And it's it's um, it's a weird time, I guess, in the United States. It is. And keep in mind that the pure and solitary focus of this impeachment trial in the Senate is to try to keep 
former President Trump from running from office or running for office again. I mean, under Article One, uh, Section Three, it does provide for keeping or disqualifying someone from holding office in the future. And that's the sole and exclusive purpose for this trial in the Senate. Now, what's interesting, I think, politically, is that the first 100 days of any president's uh, uh, new term is the honeymoon. That's when they try to get as much done as they possibly can. And yet in the midst of that first 100 days for President Biden, uh, all of the oxygen in the air is going to be sucked out by the uh, by the Trump impeachment trial. So as he's trying to press a new agenda, the 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 focus of the public and the news media and the news cycle is going to be this impeachment against the former president, which really detracts from President Biden's uh, efforts to move his agenda forward in the first 100 days. That's problematic. Brad Young from Hairstyle Fisher and Young. You hear him here on KMOX, and of course, you can see him on television. You may also catch him just going around town looking for the best coffee or something along those lines. <laughs> you, you, you have a, a wide variety of options of things that uh, you could consume your time with, but for some reason, you always come back to the show, which I'm very grateful for. Thank you so much for coming back, Brad. My pleasure, Ryan. Anytime. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. And, you know, we meet weekdays here on KMOX. And this is a night where we really didn't open up the phone lines. We had so many great guests on and this may be one of those nights that we just don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. We only have a few minutes because after the weather here in about uh, 10 minutes from now, Greg Henson's going to join us. He was a former talk show host in Detroit, a radio talk show host. Now he programs a radio station on our sister station in Richmond, Virginia, WRVA, another one of those powerhouse stations over on the East Coast. And I wanted him to come on because he was a talk show host during the years that Detroit's mayor was Kwame Kilpatrick. Now, Kwame Kilpatrick had his sentence commuted by President Trump on his way out of office. I hated the idea. I thought, oh, you got to be kidding me. No, 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 he should not be out of jail. So I wanted to bring Greg on and put some perspective into the t life and times of the mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, at the time and uh, why this is so upsetting that he's out of prison now. Yeah, I think he was found guilty on 24 federal charges. We're not talking about, you know, little rinky dinky things. 24 federal accounts. Ah, and he was supposed to spend a lot more time in jail, but I guess he was, what, seven years in? And that was it. Mm, disappointing. So we're going to talk about that in maybe, what, six, seven, eight minutes from now, something like that. So a few other things I wanted to get to. I saw this and I mentioned to Rich Rubino about President Trump's office of the former president in Florida. So, you know, he's not going to be building homes for Habitat for Humanity. It looks like he's not going away quietly. It looks like a lot of times it's it's used as a way to gather documents for the library, things like that. So at least there will be an office. Makes you also wonder what kind of press releases will be coming out, too. There's still a lot of fight and debate that's going on with just in general, uh, the political atmosphere and everything that led into the Capitol siege, uh, siege isn't the right word, the, the Capitol rioters, the Capitol, uh, the, the people that busted in, broke in, and forcefully took over the Capitol for a few hours. 
on January 6th, a very dark and sad day in American history. Nonetheless, joined on this weekend's ABC's uh, news program with uh, George Stephanopoulos was Senator Rand Paul. I like Rand Paul. I think Rand Paul is a good senator. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, we've discouraged people to, um, uh, we've discouraged even being able to ask the question around elections. And it's so funny that going back to 2016, you can question that election for years. And even after the Mueller investigation, people still questioned that. And they said that Russia was at fault for putting Donald Trump in office and, you know, that he worked together and they did all this. So years they they brought up the question and you can go back and see the track record of all the same politicians who have said you're not even allowed to question this for a month uh, after an election. But uh, nonetheless, George Stephanopoulos and Rand Paul, they're still talking about this. I don't think it's going to a point where they're going to let anything like this go and say, okay, we uh, we disagree on this. I think they're going to continue to use this as a rallying cry, as in to say you're not allowed to even question anything anymore. And I think maybe that's where Rand Paul's going on this, because there really hasn't been much in the way of satisfying those that have looked at it and said, well, I, I would like to know more about it. No election is perfect, but there, there were eight. Oh, I got to turn the volume up on this. I'm sorry. Sometimes I got to mess with my computer. There we go. No election is perfect, but there, there were 86 challenges filed by President Trump and his allies in court. All were dismissed. Every state certified the results after investigations and recounts. The De- Department of Justice, led by William Barr, said there's no widespread evidence of fraud. Can't you just say the words, this yeah. election was well, not what stolen? I would suggest is... What I would suggest is that if we want greater confidence in our elections, and 75% of Republicans agree with me, is that we do need to look at election integrity, and we do need to see if we can uh, restore confidence in the elections. Well, 75% of Republicans agree with you because they were fed a big lie by President Trump and his supporters who say the election was stolen. Why can't you say President Biden won a legitimate fair election? uh, Hey, George, 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 where you make a mistake is that People coming from the liberal side like you, you immediately say everything's a lie instead of saying there are two sides to everything. Historically, what would happen is if I said that I thought there was fraud, you would interview someone else who said there wasn't. But now you insert yourself in the middle and say that the absolute well, fact is that everything I'm saying is a lie. Well, because, but I Senator, that I said what the president fact, said was a lie because to. he said, hold we're on a second. To. He said the election was stolen. This election was not stolen. This ele- the results were certified in every you're single saying, state you're after saying, counts you're and saying. recounts. Okay, so this is them having a discussion on this. And let's fast forward into the press briefing room where Jen Paskey, who is the press secretary for Joe Biden, asks and answers questions like this from a friendly media. Now, keep in mind, if they would treat the Biden administration the same way they treated the Trump administration the last four years, then maybe you'd be able to have a little bit of accountability. But instead, they ask questions like this. I did ask him for my four-year-old niece, Soraya, who was very curious about what his favorite ice cream was. And his favorite ice cream was chocolate chip. So that is my uh, my update for all of you on that. But I have not found the freezer yet. All right. So there's a little bit of music because it was part of a compilation. They made it all, you know, real cute and bubbly. But yeah, they were asking, what's Biden's favorite ice cream? Hmm. Wow. Okay. So we're going to boxers or brief style questions from the media when it has to do with the Biden administration. But when it has to do with uh, things like this, then okay, no holds bar. You're just a terrible person for even saying that we need to have that, you know, that we haven't really satisfied securing elections yet. That Just because Joe Biden is in office right now, it doesn't satisfy that we've had 
the best in free election. Maybe we need to keep looking into ways to make it more uh, more complete, more secure. And even questioning and even saying that anymore is looked at as treasonous to some people, which is pretty bad, all things considered. Uh, so we can continue to look at this. Maybe I need to watch more press briefings and look at these softball types of questions that they they uh, continue to throw up there and then go back and look at it. And the sad thing is when it comes to the coverage over the weekend, ABC and George Stephanopoulos is probably the better of the three whenever there's live news that's going down uh, and I'm trying to pay attention to it. It seems like he is the one that is most likely to be down the center in their coverage. And that... <laughs> That's not great for the NBC and the CBSs of the world who also, when I flip around and watch some of their live coverage, I'll think to myself, man, you're making George Stephanopoulos the most fair of those on TV right now. How did that happen? All right. When we come back, Greg Henson, he is someone that was a radio talk show host in Detroit during the years of Kwame Kilpatrick when he was mayor of Detroit. I wanted to talk to him about the commutation of the former mayor now that he's out of federal prison. What did uh, what were the allegations? What were the things he was found guilty of? What did he do? And what were his impressions of Kwame Kilpatrick when he was serving in Detroit? We'll talk to Greg about that after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app news radio 1120 kmox the voice of the cardinals Joining us now is a former Detroit talk show host, one of the best in the city during the time of Kwame Kilpatrick when he was the mayor of Detroit. He's also a programmer for our sister station in Richmond, Virginia. Greg Henson, thank you for coming on tonight. Hey, Ryan. Good to hear from you, man. How are you? Good. Yeah, when I saw the news about Kwame Kilpatrick, who is serving time for, it was like two dozen felonies for ripping off and just scamming the city of Detroit, among many other things. It reminded me of all those years you were on as in a talk station in Detroit, and you were right in the middle of all of this, watching it all happen, and I thought, oh, man, this this is hard for me to watch. I can't imagine what it was like for you to see Kwame get out of jail early. Well, it's funny, too, because when he moved to Dallas, I was living in Dallas at the time, so I got to see even the abject stupidity of this man as he thumbed his nose at the justice system when I was in Dallas too. But oh. when I see it, it nauseated me because Kwame Kilpatrick, I think we all went, uh, I think we all were very excited when he was first elected mayor because we thought, hey, this is a son of Detroit. This is a sharp kid. This guy can make some stuff happen because Detroit at the time is always struggling always lagging behind everyone else when it comes to fixing their city. Like Detroit should have been Pittsburgh, Ryan, mm-hmm. and and done some of the things Pittsburgh did back in the 90s when they saw the steel industry declining and, and Detroit never did a thing about it. So we thought, okay, here's a new set of eyes, a young set of eyes. And he came in and promptly lied, stole from the city, and then was so brazen, he lied again. And he cheated on his wife, and he lied about it. I mean, this was a bad guy. A guy set on self-interest from day one. 
Yeah, he really took advantage of his position and really, when you think about a public servant, uh, we have one here in St. Louis, and St. Louis is kind of similar in the sense where you have the city, and then it's surrounded by St. Louis County, where there are two different governments. And we had someone just a couple of years ago who ripped off the county and was found guilty on federal charges and currently is in a federal prison. And I said, he looks like the Pope compared to Kwame Kilpatrick. So finally, oh, the yeah. uh, the sins of Kwame caught up to him. He was found guilty on uh, I think it was like 24 of his 30 federal charges, and rightfully so. Kind of give us an idea, when you're watching all of this happen, one of the biggest frustrations for me was seeing him reelected. People still reelected him in office after all of these allegations and things that they were watching unfold. That frustrated me probably the most of all of it, because there was an opportunity to get him out of office. But then you go back and look, and there's people are happy that Kwame Kilpatrick had his uh, sentence commuted, and they thought, oh, this is a good thing that he's getting out of jail. He would win again if he were allowed to run. And at this point, it's unclear if he's allowed to run. Um, the problem, Brian, and this is bigger picture, it applies to St. Louis, it applies to Detroit, it, it applies here in Richmond, Virginia. Identity politics is far more important than policy in 2020, and that's a problem. And I think even some Joe Biden voters are kind of seeing that now. They voted, I don't know what they voted for, the first black slash Indian slash Asian woman to ever be vice president. Then they voted for, you know, it's always a first. It's always the first person to do this, rather than what their policy initiatives are. And with Kwame, the policy didn't matter. It was, he was one of us, you know, he's one of our, he's just, and, and, and that's a positive and a negative. In the suburbs, we thought, good, finally a young kid who grew up in Detroit, he knows the weaknesses, he knows the strengths, He'll fix this for his city and the people he grew up around. And instead, he used that power to to enrich himself and the friends. It was this hangers-on. All the friends that he grew up with, the losers, the derelicts, people that he grew up with, he gave them all jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's what that, that, Ryan, was one of the bigger problems. Is, and, you know, he came from a very corrupt political machine. His mom was a representative as well, and she was corrupt, and she's now retired, I believe, till uh, Mama Cheeks Kilpatrick, we used to call her. Um, but, yeah, it's, identity politics would get him elected again. Hey, May, Marion Barry got elected after <laughs> doing crack with hookers. I mean, and it was all identity. You know, oh, wait. We, we're voting for skin color instead of the best people in, and it's not my and gender, not just skin yeah. color, gender, skin color, first, third person to ever do this, first transgender, first gay, first black, first, you know, whatever. We're not voting with our heads. We're voting with our eyeballs. And that's really a problem. Yeah. So let's go through some of the controversies of Kwame Kilpatrick so people can understand them, because <laughs> you mentioned, I mean, there are so many different ones and some of them that come to mind, because you said a lot of his hanger honors and some of his family members, like cousins, if I remember, were clocking in like 120 hours a week for a job they didn't actually hold. There was, the, of course, the cars. He was giving cars away to family members <laughs> and himself, and he was doing it under the radar of the city council. Uh, there was, of course, that party. And you talk about Marion Barry. I mean, this story also has prostitutes in it. So there's all kinds of different uh, uh, angles well, to this one. Well, the, it, this all started with uh, the part the, the, the Explorer controversy. His wife was driving an Explorer, and he lied and said it wasn't a city Explorer. And then a very quick and easy check showed us that it was, in fact, a city Explorer that she had to have. That was the, the one of the first tip-offs? No, 
heard the first kind of tip off that this was not a very honest person, right? But if you're ever bored, just Google Kwame Kilpatrick party at the Manoogie. We had a we had a song about it, and um, what happened was he was holding a huge party at the mayoral mansion. Now, I don't know how it works in St. Louis, but Detroit's one of the cities where there's a mansion for the mayor. It was mm-hmm. donated many years ago by the Manoogie family. There's a big party there. Well, the story goes that the stripper named Tamara Green was giving Kwame a lap dance and whatever else was going on. And his wife was on her way out of town. Well, apparently she came back to the mansion, saw this going down, and probably even beat the stripper with an inch of mm. That same stripper turned up dead, and she was killed by a gun that is the standard issue police revolver in the city of Detroit. Right. So I don't know that anything was ever proven on that, but it certainly um, draw drew the flies to Kwame Kilpatrick's pile of steaming, you know what? Yeah. And that's when everything started to get uncovered. The fact that he was having an affair with his chief of staff, who, by the way, was a high school friend of his. Mm. You know what I mean? This, this is how all dirty and corrupt it was. And it was all right now in public, and no one cared. Yeah, and the city didn't seem to care until the news outlets got after it, Ryan. Yeah, and and mostly on top of that, I think if I remember, there were even some whistleblowers within the police department that came forward, were promptly fired, ended up suing, and received yeah, millions of dollars. Money. Yeah, they they won because of all this, and all of this oh. was being covered up. And this is just some of the issues. This is not all the issues of Kwame. Yeah, this this went on for years, and it, it's so it, it was uh, you know. It was one of those things where you would just watch the news every night and you would shake your head that no one was doing anything about it. You think the swamp in D.C. is bad? The swamp in Detroit was worse. Yeah. And it probably still is. We used to call it the Democratic machine that put mm-hmm. these people in place. The same people remember that were responsible for Governor Granholm, the same people that are responsible for Governor Whitmer. I mean, these it's very incestuous and it's very, very dirty, man. And and you know, you were living in the area, you know exactly what was going down and you know, Kwame was a vindictive I'll give you another story. I was in I was at Tom Brady's first Super Bowl in 2000 was it two hmm. 2002 in new orleans hmm. and detroit was set to host the 05 super bowl so i'm in my hotel and um and i'm walking around getting ready to go to the game and this limo parade pulls up three four limos and out pops Kwame and his henchmen from detroit they're there on the city dime partying and enjoying themselves under the guise of Learning how to run a Super Bowl in your city. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, we, so we get back to Detroit and we start talking about it. And we found out that some of the elders from the city had to pull Kwame aside and say, cool it. Yeah. The city is broke. And yeah. you're very high profile. I mean, that's how bad it got. That his folks were telling him, cut it out. Oh, man. It, this is just like part of the tale. And it's such a crazy story because it lasted for so many years. And the problem, the one of the biggest problems, it set Detroit back so much. And look at it. It led them into bankruptcy and all these other problems that the, it's going to take them a lot to dig themselves out. And imagine if they didn't have all that harm, that inflicted harm during that administration, how much better of a position they would be in today. And that's the shame because going back to the start, it, it would trouble me because they would be more than welcome to 
bring him back into office, seeing that he was reelected. Well, and there's still sy- people sympathetic, you know, that people in Detroit that are cheering, they're happy that he got off uh, years early. They to get him out. They lobbied to get him out. Here's the thing. You just brought up a really great point that goes unnoticed. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, the money was flowing. The economy was strong. Tech boom was going down. Every other city, with few exceptions, managed to use that time to revitalize their city. Pittsburgh did it. New York City did it to a, to a degree. You know, uh, St. Louis, Dallas, Milwaukee, all, Chicago, all, all these cities were able to kind of piggyback on this great ep- economic times, except Detroit, mm. because they were taking millions of dollars out of the city. And the, the number one revenue driver in the city of Detroit is water. And so the Detroit Water Company makes billions of dollars a year, and they were giving out sham contracts for Detroit water. That's why that led to the Flint water crisis, Mm -hmm. because the prices were getting jacked up so high to provide water to Flint. Flint went there for other places to get water and decided on the Flint River Mm -hmm. when the pipes couldn't handle it, and that's what caused the lead poisoning. But a lot of this goes back to the Detroit Water Company had to make up all these shortfalls. And so it was indirectly part of the problem for Flint, too, because they would raise these prices, Ryan, so high that even some of the western suburbs were like, whoa, you know, if you lived in Northville and Novi, you were still paying. You know, in in Oakland County, which is the richest county in the region, you were being jacked and jacked and jacked. Yeah because the city's shortfalls were becoming bigger and bigger and bigger every year due to corruption and things like that. Oh, it's so bad. You know, There's other places. I know yeah. in California, they're just thieves when it comes to water. So you see that in some places. Yeah. Uh, and so, electricity out there, oh, too. Ridiculous. So I, I got to say, you were one of the influential people that really got me interested in talk radio. I was working at a talk station through college when I was going to Central Michigan, but when I would come home and after I graduated from school, I would always listen to your show and you gave me really inspiration of what more talk radio could do uh you and michelle were just fantastic and i was listening to your guys' show and i gotta say during that time the kwame kilpatrick years uh it was just great radio so to come on and talk about it tonight it means a lot to me and i I gotta say former uh detroit talk show host but currently he's a program on our sister station in richmond virginia the big powerhouse uh talk station there wrva greg henson thank you for coming on tonight Ryan, I appreciate it, man, and I know we've talked before. You're very nice to say that. Um, it's nice to hear young people who used to listen to us who are in the business now. There's a lot of good talk show radio guys and music guys even that came out of Detroit, so you're right along in that legacy. Greg joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. And overnight America, we continue up until midnight. Then we have the replay hours, and the replay hours have some action-packed interviews scheduled there, including with Peter uh, Gentala. He's the senior legal counsel for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, and also Lisa Haba. She's a partner with the Haba Law Firm, and they filed a suit against Twitter saying that they knowingly distributed uh, minors and sexually graphic videos and photos. And it's just real terrible, terrible anguish and everything that goes on with this. And if you haven't heard that story, we have it up on the podcast at Ryan Recker radio. You can get it right there on Facebook or, uh, overnight America, the podcast, but it'll replay 
later tonight too. And it just, oh man, there's so much that's going on anymore. And right before the break, I only got a chance to play a little bit of what was the back and forth over the weekend with Rand Paul and George Stephanopoulos on ABC discussing the events that are leading into what we're seeing today when it comes to the election. And you, you heard a little bit there and, and I wanted to continue because they went on a little bit further because I like that Rand Paul will be more than happy to push back if someone pushes him. I think he's willing to give his point of view on these sort of things and not really because uh, uh, what happens sometimes is that people are very much afraid of the backlash if they were to speak out against something, even if it is a problem. And I, he's not one that would see something as a problem and say, well, I'm afraid of the backlash by addressing a problem. You may disagree if it's a problem or not. And they continued on. And this was uh, Sunday over on ABC. You're saying that absolutely it was you're saying there was no fraud and it's all been investigated. And that's just not true. So I, it's not what I said, sir. I said the Department of Justice found no, no evidence. Let, let me finish, finish my point. No, you say you said something lie. that was you, not true. You say we're all liars. You're just simply saying we're all liars. And I said it was a lie that the election was stolen. Premise that you're right and we're wrong. Well, let, no, well, let's let's talk about the specifics of it. In Wisconsin, tens of thousands of absentee votes had only the name on them and no address. Historically, those were thrown out this time. They weren't. They made special accommodations because they said, oh, it's a pandemic and people forgot what their address was. So they changed the law after the fact. That is wrong. That's unconstitutional. And I plan on spending the next two years going around state to state and fixing these problems. And I won't be cowed by liberals in the media who say, there's no evidence here and you're a liar if you talk about election fraud. No, let's have an open debate. It's a free country. It, there's there is no widespread evidence of election fraud that overturned the results. That was stated as well by the Department of Justice, led by President Trump's attorney general. In Wisconsin, there were counts and recounts. Never studied that. Even that's certified. not true. Even that's not true. Even William that's Barr not said true. That Barr said that. But there was, yes, he said that, yes, that was a pronouncement. There has been no examination, thorough examination of all the states to see what problems we had and see if they could fix them. Wow. So then you get a little bit bigger feel for the greater scope of this sort of thing. And even back when the, all of this really started and, and people started to bait it, I, I tried to be as honest as possible, even throughout the course of the show. And I said that the chances of being able to present something that would overturn the election are zero percent, right? Five percent at most. It was such low odds. And I would do segments on the show and I would say, you know, there, there is no hope for a reelection for Donald Trump. It's over. And people would call in and believe that there was some Hail Mary pass and things that could happen. And I just I just don't see it. I don't see any of that happening. Joe Biden's going to be sworn in on, on January 20th. And yes, that's exactly what happened, mostly because that was the most likely scenario. But I've always said this, too. I've always said that if you truly believe that there was something that happened that shouldn't have happened, if laws were ignored, if there were some kind of questionable activity, then even if you are not in office, you still have the ability to prove it and vindicate yourself. You can do those sort of things. And we're at the point right now where even that line of thinking is looked at as treasonous if you're a member of Congress because they look at you and say, well, you're not allowed to say that because if you think that you're inciting violence and you're responsible for what happened on January 6th, which is simply, again, not the case. And I also have to point out like one text message that came in here. Um, 
And here's the text message. Would other members of Congress that spoke out during the unrest and encouraged the unrest subject to impeachment or removal based on the Ohio case used as the standard? I think what we're treading on, and if you're going to use any sort of language or anything for that matter, and to say that this is an impeachable offense, but keep in mind, they're not going to be enough votes to follow through with this, right? It's number one, he's out of office to begin with. It's a mute point. I think most people look at this as some sort of circus, political charade. So they're just going to say, no, thanks. I'm not going to vote to convict just based on that. But nonetheless, let's just say if we were going to set that threshold to where it's at right now, and you were to say that, yes, you're the one that incited and this is what the new threshold is, then I think you can go back and look at so many different members of Congress who have used language that is actually worse and point at it and say, well, here is what you said and here's what happened afterwards. And if you want to set that threshold so low, that's a dangerous precedent to set. It's when you're just trying to play fast and loose because you hate the person, that person being Donald Trump then you're going to find it coming back and biting you because you're going to be held to that same standard. But then again, I don't think they want to be held by that same standard because the the bar and the threshold being so low, that's not a standard. That is just, hey, I'm going to just point and anything I point at is if I'm against it, then it's guilty. And that's no way to handle yourself, let alone elected officials. This is Overnight America KMOX. Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.